Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Thomas, good to see you again. Good to see you, Matt. Um, I'm looking at your debt clock, and that those numbers are going super, super fast. Um, are are you guys still spending money you don't have? We are. We are liquidating the Postal Workers Pension Fund so that we can pay the pension funds of Ukrainian government employees. Completely sane to yeah. do now that we've hit the debt limit. Uh, this is my new debt badge. Uh, yeah, you've you've gone like uh, all stylish now. Your your debt pin is is impact super, resistant, super cool nylon. Um, but the main uh, new feature is it's got a dimmer switch, so you can have three levels of brightness, and then you can turn it off. You wouldn't want to blind your date at the movies. So my my idea is this would be so ubiquitous at some point. A voice would come over the microphone and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, the show is about to begin. Please dim your debt clocks." <laughs> So do you think this is what ladies are looking for in a date, generally? Um, if you find a lady who's looking for your concern about the, the debt and the lack of a, uh, a based currency, you probably found the right person. She's a keeper? Yeah, or she's batshit crazy. One or the other. <laughs> kind of, there's a bimodal distribution there. Speaking of batshit crazy. Of guys crazy. as well. Yeah. Men the same way. Speaking of batshit crazy, uh, Republicans just passed this huge new surveillance program called e-verify and you were one of two two republicans who, who is the other against. republican to vote against his name's john duarte from california and uh, he's a he as a nursery man he uh grows pistachios and almonds and things like that so he's he's a farmer he's a farmer too yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he knows what the deal is, I think, with E-Verify. So yeah. E-Verify is the program you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's voluntary, has been voluntary for a long time. Some states have mandated it. I think 13, maybe 14 states have mandated it. One of them is Arizona. And I asked an Arizona congressman who was in favor of national E-Verify, even though his state already has it. And he said, so you, you totally eliminated illegal immigrants from working in uh, Arizona. He's like, well, actually, we just raised the price of the packet. Yeah. And I said, what is a packet? And he's like, well, you go downtown and you buy a packet and it's got your birth certificate and your social security number in it. And it's guaranteed to pass E-Verify. Now, the, um, the only way E-Verify can work is if you get rid of cash and you have biometrics. Because uh, if e that's the only way E-Verify e can work at keeping illegal immigrants from uh, being employed. Uh, but at that point now, you've given, and even long before that, you've given the government an on-off switch for every American to be employed, not just illegal immigrants. It's failed to do that. It's like every government program. It fails to do the intended or stated purpose, while at the same time tightening the noose on the rest of us. Yeah. And um, for people who say, I've got a, a tinfoil hat on talking about uh, biometrics and E-Verify, the very language of the bill we passed last week includes a pilot program for alternate verification methods that will be developed by the National Institutes of Standards and Technology in conjunction with Department of Homeland Security. So if you go to their website and look at that pilot program, I, I, I put biometrics in as a search term because I didn't want to read the whole pilot thing. 67 instances of biometrics 
in in that pilot program at NIST. So we, I mean, I felt like uh, you know the only guy in Congress running around saying, "Guys, we just went through three years of COVID, three years, well, two years of this president mandating a vaccine, and what was the lever he used? Your employment. He got the employers to be the enforcers of his vaccine mandate." And did he create a new bureaucracy? No, he enlisted the legions who, uh, who are already here. And that was OSHA, for instance, their occupational safety and health. Uh, he said, you're gonna be my vaccine enforcer. So I'm concerned in the next pandemic, E-Verify becomes V-Verify. And just like OSHA became the vaccine enforcer. Well, you can take it, you can take it multiple steps further because it might be the compliance is a vaccine, but there is an infinite number of ways the government would define what a good citizen worthy of being allowed to work yes. could be, right? Your social credit score, yeah. you know. Um, pick so, somebody's trying that, I think. Who, what, what, who does that? Yeah. Yeah, let's look at what kind of groceries you bought. Yeah. Um, did you, you know, uh, did you buy alcohol? Maybe they want you to buy alcohol. Um, those sort of things. Did you, did you show up in some kind of protest on a certain day? And now you're virtually unemployable. Yeah. Uh, those sort of things. Your your credit rating, but it's going to be your social credit rating. I just think it's a terrible idea. I don't. It was. And by the way, this is another way they <laughs> they pass everything in Congress. And I thought since January, you know, they talk jokingly in Congress now in the House. We talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was John Boehner and Paul Ryan, and the New Testament is the covenant that we have with Kevin McCarthy. And part of that covenant was not to throw all these bills together. But they put eight bills in, in my that came out of my Judiciary Committee together, and one of those was E-Verify. And seven of those eight I could vote for because they're border protection. But they always have to throw some crap in the crap sandwich. And so this, this is what they put in there, E-Verify. Now, I, uh, I had a what I call a flash caucus toward the uh, end. I had this hope that I could get a group of Republicans, because it only takes five Republicans, if the Democrats are all going to vote against it, to stop a bill. And I didn't even want to stop this bill. I just wanted a separate vote on E-Verify. And I found some uh, uh, unlikely compatriots in the uh, in some of the more purple districts where Republicans are uh, in agriculture districts, and they didn't they did not want E-Verify, and they also wanted a separate vote. But here's what happened to me at the last second: the the conservatives, the ultra conservatives, the border hawks in our conference, cut a deal with the ag guys and gave them a carve out, an exemption, and uh, now. It's, it's a whereas, you know, sense of Congress type exemption. So the border hawks will say, oh, it's just a fig leaf. But listen, the, you've seen what this administration can do with one word in a bill. Well, they've got several sentences that say you need to consider the impact. Before you enforce E-Verify on anybody involved in food production, you need to consider the impact on national security. Now, so now they've invoked natural, national security and food. So they're gonna, they gave a big carve out in this bill and bought them off. So my flash caucus reduced to a caucus of two, yeah. whereas I had maybe eight in there. So you're saying yeah. that a vaguely written bill might be abused by a future administration 
Um, let's say it's uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez administration, God help us all. Yes. Um, she might use it differently than House Republicans intended it to be used. D- don't give the government any more power than you would give your worst enemy because your worst enemy can get elected, and uh, especially to the administrative branch, which is what they've done. And um, I can just tell you that they said, oh, well, we need this because it'll turn off the magnet, you know, uh, illegal immigrants getting jobs is a magnet that attracts them across the border. But guess what? Most the, the biggest industry that employs them is ag. So they're going to leave the ag magnet on. Uh, by the way, I had some fun with this bill in Judiciary Committee because there I was out, able to offer any amendment I wanted and make Republicans vote on it. So I, I offered one amendment that said, well, if you're a U.S. citizen and you served uh, in the U.S. military, and you were either generally discharged or honorably discharged, we're not going to make you go through E-Verify to get a job. Like, so Republicans had a choice. Are we going to honor our veterans? Or are we going to E-Verify their asses? Yeah. And so uh, there were only two Republicans that voted with me to support a veteran's right to be employed without going through E-Verify. And they were uh, Victoria Sparts and uh, Jeff Fandrew. So, um, and then... I, it was a, I almost prevailed on that amendment, but the, they left the vote open and, and called up a bunch of Republicans and said, get in here, Massey's about to wreck this bill by supporting veterans. Like, and it's a poison pill or something, right? So uh, there was another amendment that I offered that they said wasn't germane. I said, why don't we uh, E-Verify welfare recipients? Like, and um, they ruled that out of order. They said, we're not Mr. Massey, we're not dealing with welfare today, so you can't offer that amendment. So I respectfully withdrew it um, rather than to object, but I did offer one amendment that was made in order, which is to give a right of action to somebody to sue the federal government if they're wrongfully denied employment because this database fails, which gets me to another point, the NICS background check system. By the way, I, I throw E-Verify in this whole slew of uh, of like government lists, you know, you've got the no-fly list. You better not be on that if you want to fly. Uh, the NICS background check system, you better not have a name that's similar to somebody who's been convicted for a year or more because you're not going to be able to buy a gun. Uh, you know, they talk about real ID. Oh, real ID was going to solve all this 10 years ago. Well, if you got a real ID, why can't you get a real job? Why do you need E-Verify? But just, you know, go down the list. Uh, I would even include central bank digital currency in this list of things where they're going to require your permission in order to to get compliance. But on the NICS background check system, which is the one system we have some data for, and this is this is from a GAO report, in the last year we have data, there were 112,000 denials of people who, initial denials when they went to buy a gun. That matriculated into only 12 convictions nationwide, federal convictions. 112,000 people denied, 12 convictions. The the dirty little secret is 99.9% of those denials were legal law-abiding citizens. Now, they claim that E-Verify has twice the accuracy of NICS. So if you you E-Verify every American, we're only going to put 300,000 hardworking Americans out of a job because they don't match up in the database. If you're watching this show, you're probably wondering, is there a way I can support liberty and improve my life at the same time? Well, there is. Pack Crest Botanicals is a libertarian-owned company that makes botanical CBD products. 
I started using CBD oil to help me when I'm trying to sleep and my three annoying cats won't leave me alone. Now I can just ignore them for a solid eight hours and wake up feeling great. Not only are they run by our friends in the Liberty Movement, Pack Crest Botanicals also uses high quality organic ingredients in everything they make. They sell tinctures, edibles, topicals, and botanical vapes. CBD oil can help with pain, insomnia, inflammation, anxiety, stress, arthritis, and more. Use discount code FREETHEPEOPLE to save 25% of your order. And if you select Free the People as your charitable organization at checkout, a portion of your purchase will be donated to us to help fight for freedom. That's, I feel like that's a high rate of failure, even for a government program. <laughs> I mean, it's somewhat redundant to say failure of a government program. I know. You're, you're I know. assuming it's for the intended purpose, and I would never do that. One other analogy that, that uh, these are just kind of coming to me as I relive last week and the horror of it. But uh, one other analogy um, to the guns, the businesses, the, the big businesses want to de-verify. I, I was in a meeting, in a backroom meeting, where somebody said, one of the staff said, well, downtown wants E-Verify. Downtown. You know what downtown yeah. means, okay. And and somebody said, Chamber of Commerce, we don't listen to them. And it's like, no, it's more than that. What they're talking about is big businesses want E-Verify. And here's why. Because most of the big businesses already do it. It's a way to launder their illegal immigrants so that they have no uh, liability or exposure if, if they know an illegal immigrant can buy a packet and make it through E-Verify and then they can hire that illegal immigrant, they love E-Verify. Their hands are clean. Their hands are clean. Yeah. They, their public image is unsoiled when they find 400 illegal immigrants, you know, cutting up meat in, in the slaughterhouse. Uh, oh, well, we had them all E-Verified. So uh, the analogy would be like the Nick's background check. You can't sue a gun manufacturer. Because we've, you know, the, the sale had the imprimatur of the federal government, you know, crazy person bought a gun. Well, it's all okay. We checked them. The government gave them the stamp. Same thing with food processing. Oh, you can't, you, you get sick, you get E. coli. Good luck proving it. But even if you could, it, that got a USDA stamp. So in the government has laundered the liability and that's what E-Verify does. And just like when I first came to Congress or, or before I came to Congress, Amazon was against the internet tax. Okay, why would they want to add an extra tax to their consumers? But when I got to Congress, uh, Amazon did a flip-flop and they were in favor of the internet tax because what they found is they had a nexus in all 50 states. And by the way, they got some tax carve out in all those 50 states in exchange for putting a distribution center there. And once they started paying the internet tax, they wanted to make sure every one of their competitors down to one employee had to also collect that internet tax. And it's the same way here. That's why downtown, once E-Verify, they want all the mom and pops to have to go through this if they're going through it. Yeah, that's classic uh, rent protection, smashing the small businesses. By the way, I just admitted um, that I used to work for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And I, when I was a young economist, I was young and foolish, and, and I naively thought at the tender age of 26, I was their budget director. And their their logo says, the spirit of enterprise. 
And I naively thought that they believed that. Uh-huh. And once I got on the inside, I discovered that the big guys spent all of their time cutting deals with government, specifically to screw the broad membership of the chamber, right. which is the small guys. Right. When I, uh, by the way, the chamber is not allowed in my office in Washington. <laughs> There's two people, not two types of people, not allowed in my office in Washington D.C. The Chamber of Commerce and anybody who's promulgating a vaccine mandate. Just stay out of my, don't even ask for an appointment. You're not going to get it. That probably clears your schedule pretty well in it terms of Washington. cleared a lot of my fundraising, too, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel. When I instituted this policy and we ran the list, my fundraiser called my chief and said, just canceled the, the event tomorrow because uh, they, they all have vaccine mandates. Yeah. So I feel like this show is, is, a, is sort of, we're going to lay down a marker. You do this a lot in your career where... You, you warn us that something really bad is going to happen. Nobody listens. It's always, um, it's always the Republicans that attack you first. And, and I could even go back to your, um, maybe he's your spirit animal, but I feel like, like Ron, Paul, is, yeah. Ron Paul might have warned us after 9-11 right. that all of these expansive new powers that they, they were creating, the Patriot Act and, and surveillance state and all of that stuff, that that stuff would be weaponized against the American people. And fast forward to um, COVID and lockdowns, um, I only recently discovered that there was some agency within Homeland Security, I think it's CISA, that was determining which employees were essential and non-essential. Homeland Security was deciding whether or not your job mattered during lockdowns. That has nothing to do with the stated purpose of Homeland Security going back to its creation in 2001, maybe this is going to happen again. So we need to we need to lay this at least when we're living in a social credit system where it feels like we we now are just servants to our Chinese style government. We can at least say Massey warned us. Yeah. And um, speaking of my spirit animal, Ron Paul, he came out last week. You know, he, he comes out and does a video and says Massey's right about E-Verify. So uh, you got two people who have a pretty good track record, unfortunately, of being the prophets of doom. Yeah. We could, you know, I would give up my job as prophet of doom if people would listen, right? Because then we could do something about it before it happens. But yeah, we you, we also have a history of me coming here to your little studio yeah. like three years ago and saying there's going to be inflation, there's going to be food shortages, there's going to be this and that and the tail on this is going to be not you know six months we're going to be five years from now still experiencing this this is my beef with republicans and i'm i'm sort of a recovering republican myself because it seems like these really massive expansions of government in my lifetime um you know starting with the patriot act and the war on terror um the wall street bailout in 2008 um covid lockdowns and now this these are not only enabled by Republicans, they're they're led by Republicans. Why do you let your colleagues do this? Oh, I don't know. I thought if I got on the rules committee, I could stop some of this, and we have stopped some some bad things from happening. But we're we're letting a little bit of it get through, unfortunately. And you you mentioned the Wall Street bailouts. I remember that was two thousand and eight. I wasn't even a county judge executive at that point. I hope Mitch McConnell doesn't go back and find the letters that I wrote him in 2008 over TARP and the other automotive bailouts. Uh, And I wrote those letters to my own congressman 
not to much effect. And so now I've got his job and it's, it's even more terrifying because I don't have to write letters. I can talk to my colleagues, but they still seem to be making these mistakes. But to the Wall Street bailouts and, and whatnot back then, um, you remember we had some bank uh, failures, Silicon Valley Bank and, and a couple others since then. And uh, Silicon Valley Bank like was failing on Thursday, you know, and they had it shut down by Friday. And by Sunday, we got a, a, a courtesy call. All the members of Congress who wanted to join on this Zoom call uh, could join and listen to Treasury, to the Federal Reserve, and to FDIC tell us that they were going to do multi-billion dollar bailouts. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait, we used to vote on these things. I remember complaining to my congressmen and my senators that they shouldn't vote for these bailouts, but now I'm a congressman and I'm just getting a courtesy call because what they've done, I guess, is uh, Congress has, and I don't think this is constitutional, they've delegated that authority to FDIC, Fed, and Treasury. Yeah. Um, it's as if the government grows no matter what. And, and this is like this. W w explain to me, um, there, there are uh, good people in Congress that very much believe in, in limiting the power of government because they understand incentives and they understand the unintended consequences of doing all of this. And yet there's still this, this sort of Cinderella mythology that this time we're going to give the government power to do that one thing I want it to do. And it's never it's never going to be abused like why do people keep falling for that fantasy? Because most congressmen are Charlie Brown, and, and uh, Lucy knows she can pull the football away. So they take a crisis, like Title 42 at the border expiring. It's, this is very analogous, like you said, to the Patriot Act. You had 9-11. Well, uh, we've got Title 42, and they, you know, 24-7, wall-to-wall coverage. Sometimes they have to go get, you know, tape from two years ago to make it look dramatic enough. But immigrants pouring across the border, and the and the the uh, the deep state, if you will, uh, says this is an opportunity. We'll gin up all this excitement, and then we'll propose, you know, some some real solutions, and we'll mix in the thing we really want, which gives us more control. And these congressmen will take the bait, you know, like ducks to a June bug, and they do. It's so predictable. And it's hard work. It's hard work for a congressman to go back home and say, you know, there is a crisis. It's real. I acknowledge it. And we do have solutions. But there's a bad part in this bill and we need to clean this up. It's just easier to say, go on TV and say, I'm solving this problem. And that's why I voted for this bill. And that's why every Republican except for two went for it. Yeah. It's just hard work and they're not willing to do it. Now, some genuinely think E-Verify is going to work. But, you know, give me a break. It doesn't work in the states where it's been tried. And for it truly to work, there have to be biometrics, which are in the bill. And you have to have a cashless society. Have you ever thought about using CBD oil? You haven't? Well, think about it now. Are you thinking about it? Good, because now there's a way to support freedom and improve your life at the same time. Packcrest Botanicals is a libertarian-owned company that makes a wide variety of botanical CBD products. I use CBD oil to soothe the sore muscles I get from constantly fighting the man here in Washington, D.C. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. 
Packcrest Botanicals uses high-quality organic ingredients in everything they make. And as libertarians, you won't have to worry about them hurting people or taking their stuff. They sell tinctures, edibles, topicals, and botanical vapes. CBD oil can help with pain, insomnia, inflammation, anxiety, stress, arthritis, and more. Use the discount code FREETHEPEOPLE to save 25% of your order. And if you select Free the People as your charitable organization at checkout, a portion of your purchase will be donated to help us keep fighting for freedom. Yeah, we're, it's, so, it's, so, it's so weird that you can, you can see the potential to, to finally get big government right over here while simultaneously, and this, this is just a hypothetical, but imagine a scenario where a candidate for president, former secretary of state, and a sitting president, and the FBI and the CIA um, collude to come up with a story that the other candidate is a Russian shill. I know this is purely fantastical right. and wouldn't happen, but... Well, in a few, in a few minutes, I'm actually going to be in a hearing uh, for whistleblowers in a committee that I serve on, which is the Weaponization of the Federal Government Committee. And um, I think that's the irony that you're pointing out. And, but let me go one step further and say, I'm on that committee. I'm on the Weaponization Committee. And every Republican on that Weaponization Committee, and we're, we're there to indict those who've weaponized government, every one of them voted, exception to me, for E-Verify. And I'm like, guys, we're, we're indicting the federal government for weaponizing the government against its citizens. And we, we just created a weapon. Like, why are we creating another weapon for them to weaponize? They don't even have to weaponize. It's already loaded and, you know, ready to fire. The safety's off. Now, fortunately, it hasn't passed the Senate and Joe Biden hasn't signed it. But you could easily see, because the, the labor unions, uh, by the way, are kind of for E-Verify. This was, even though the Democrats voted against it in the House, because it was part of a larger, larger package that might have done something about protecting the border. The Democrats couldn't vote for it. Uh, you could see it's like part of some omnibus or some debt limit deal, the last little thing that seals the deal is, well, we're going to throw E-Verify in there, and that'll get us 10 more votes, and we'll get it across the finish line, and Joe Biden would sign it as part of a larger package. Again, because unions like E-Verify. They were, they were part of the ag cutout uh, negotiation because it's the const uh, construction workers' unions who want to be, who believe they can be protected by E-Verify, and they don't want to work ag anyway, and ag labor, for the most part, isn't unionized. So anyways, you could see the Democrats come along with E-Verify eventually. Yeah, because they, they know how to wield power once they put oh, it yeah. in there. Give, us, in give a them a weapon, that, yeah. they'll use it. They know how to load these things and aim them at the people. So, so philosophically, are there progressives um, that would oppose E-Verify for similar reasons that we would? Or is that ship sailed and, and they're, not, they're not worried about um, the surveillance state and the abuse of... Of, of innocent people wanting to work. Is it, does can, that person exist anymore? Um, if, uh, it would, you know, if it's a Democrat, um, not really. Although uh, yesterday I met uh, Dennis Kucinich, like it's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, 
privilege of former congressmen that they can come back on the floor at, at any time and talk to other congressmen as long as they're not lobbyists. Yeah. Or or maybe that's why they get to be lobbyists. But anyways, he, there's a cooling off period. But anyway, in any case, Dennis Kucinich, for all the right reasons, was on the floor of Congress yesterday, and his that kind of Democrat is kind of gone. Yeah. And he told he, he me, was Ron Paul's old. Uh, uh, partner in arms on, yeah. on a lot of this core stuff. And he came up and said, you know, keep up the good work. Uh, to me, yeah. I'm a Republican. Yeah. But he he knows what I'm doing on E-Verify, and he, and he watched that. So there used to be a few, I would think Tulsi Gabbard would be concerned about it. There are a few who, who want cheap labor, and they would feign. You know, if they're in an ag district, they might use the same arguments that I'm using, but really intend other things. Uh, I'd like... I don't know. When push comes to shove, that they're sort of fair weather friends. Yeah. So um, I have my answers, and I watch your interview with Kennedy, but I wonder what your answers are as a libertarianish constitutional conservative on border security. Because I would say as a libertarian, um, um, despite what some Republicans are arguing about uh, upscaling the war on drugs, militarizing um, that stuff. I, I think. I think we should. I think we should end the war on drugs because I think a big part of this is is the result of the chaos that we've created in these countries where they uh, families can't live, and so they're desperately trying to get across the border. Um, we could create a, a guest worker program that allows for people to come and fill these ag jobs and then go back home, um, and make it legal and simple for them to do that. Um, what What would you do? Uh, well, I'm for the guest worker program. The unions have made it so hard. Like, it comes down to the administration. How do you interpret the guest worker program? And when you get a Democrat administration, the unions pressure them to make the the guest worker program fail. Yeah. Using administrative interpretations. So it's not workable for workers that want to come and go. Correct, and it's it's even less workable for small farms. So like you know you'd have to show if you were a small farm in Kentucky that. You've got six months of, of labor, but maybe you grow tobacco or maybe you pick apples and those happen, you know, at different times of year. It used to be that one farm could host uh, a guest worker and then that when when that farm was less busy, another farm nearby could employ that guest worker. They've taken that away. Um, they just try to make those programs not work. If you're trying to get me to admit where I'm not that libertarian, I'm happy to do it. Uh, you no, know, I honestly but, don't know. By the way, I don't I've know what you're been, about to say. I'm already going to be indicted in the TV ads. This is another reason I, there were only two Republicans. This bill that included E-Verify had funding for a wall. And they're, now they're going to run ads on me again saying he didn't vote to fund the wall. And those are pretty powerful ads in a, in a Republican primary. But I'm for a wall. Uh, now, I know that's not very libertarian, but... Uh, I believe if there is if there is a function of federal government is to provide for national defense. Ron Paul is concerned that the wall could be used to keep people in, and we just talked about him having pretty good record. So I that that's hanging in the back of my mind. I have to admit that I'm not libertarian when it comes to building a wall on the California border, because I'm very worried that California immigrants are going to. Um, <laughs> try to screw up right let's put the wall between california and colorado or actually now the wall needs to come east of colorado yeah but somewhere we might be in favor of a of a, an internal wall 
But uh, no, I think, you know, you need robust immigration inside of country. We're seeing that uh, like there's a lot of that going on right now. That's a big story that's not being told is the number of people leaving California, the number of people going to Florida, um, to Texas, the tech companies going to Texas. Uh, people fleeing New York for other states. There's a lot of that going on, and you wouldn't want to stop that. But I do believe uh, we should enforce our borders. And now, if you build a wall and there's doors on it and the locks break and then you don't fix the locks, which has happened on the areas where we do have a wall, right? Once once the door quits working, they just leave it open. And uh, that's m- metaphorically and literally that has happened. Uh, then you're just wasting money on a wall if it's going to be porous and you're not going to do anything when people come over it or under it. It's a, it's sort of a means to an end. It's an, it, it's not a sufficient condition for enforcing you know legal immigration and opposing illegal immigration. It's just not sufficient. And so I don't see the sincerity. We're not when we. This is this. Uh, let me make another analogy to e-verify here. I could be persuaded that uh, E-Verify could work. You know, we're going we're gonna to turn the employer into the police officer. If somebody, INS, showed up and deported the person who failed, you know, and then, you know, you failed the, the background check. We, we actually realize you're not legal in this country uh, and that you should be deported. If INS showed up and deported that person, now I would have a harder time arguing against E-Verify if it was actually going to do that, and and you had all these things in check that make sure you're not deporting Americans. <laughs> Which again, if it's as bad as Nick's background check, you're gonna have people. No, oh, I swear I was born here in West Virginia. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle, 24/7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you. You need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. See, we're going to set another benchmark where Ron Paul and I are going to come back to you in 10 years and say, now we can't get out. And we have E-Verify and we have digital currency and we have scanners everywhere determining that I'm a bad citizen um, and yet there's a wall that doesn't let me get the hell out. Yeah. So well, there it is. I, I think I'm pretty sure I can get around a wall over it or under it somehow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, the sad fact, but by the way, they can do that on the other side too. Yeah. Yeah. The sad, the sad fact is um, it's, Government, my, my definition of government, which I developed 11 years ago when I was county judge executive in Lewis County, Kentucky. I, I looked at ordinances that I didn't like that had passed before I got there, the ones that I fought on the outside. And I realized there were all these requirements for passing an ordinance. You had to advertise it 28 days in advance in the biggest newspaper of circulation. There had to be a first reading, a second reading. And I was finding like, technical problems with the way these ordinances were passed and for a week or two i thought wow i can undo so much of this government because it was illegitimately instituted Uh, they didn't follow the rules we could get this thrown out but then what i realized is 
people had gone along with it. And once you've gone along with it, it doesn't really matter what's written down. So my definition of government is government is whatever the people in power can get away with. Mm-hmm. That's what government is. I mean, I'd like to think it's the laws and the Constitution, but it's whatever they can get away with. And the, this administration especially knows that. Like with the, well, it was actually Trump who put in the, the uh, eviction moratorium based on CDC, you know, overriding state uh, residential contracts yeah. using <laughs> some little corner of the law. But every, they, every, everybody thinks Biden did that, but Trump did Trump that. did that, and then Biden upheld it. And they got away with it. That's why they did it. There was even a point at which Biden said, I don't think it's legal, but I can get away with it for a little bit longer. So I will. And they got away with it. So, um, you know, getting back to the border and and if people if the government can get away with keeping you inside of a, you know, a perimeter, they'll do it. And if people submit to it that's what you're going to get regardless of what's written down and i uh tweeted this yesterday uh or the day before after i came was coming back from a rogue food conference people don't know that i go to these things they're not on my official calendar or my campaign calendar i just go and speak to like 500 farmers and encourage them not to comply like that's not part of my official job but I tweeted the other day because this is absolutely true and especially true with farming and food. Uh, noncompliance is more effective at getting rid of bad laws than voting. Like that's how they another way of saying this is that policy is downstream of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, whatever you do, if you do it long enough, uh, it's going to they they either have to ignore the laws that are in place or they have to change them. Uh, and so I'm encouraging, you know, these, so you talk about random acts of kindness. Yeah. I'm talking about s- small acts of noncompliance, like with the mask mandate. OK, I'm not saying like on airplanes. Uh, I, it was not my goal to get drug off an airplane kicking and screaming. Right. As a U.S. congressman. But I would quite frequently forget to put the mask back on. Or it's hit down and the, the airline stewardess politely reminds you you need a mask. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. And then you put it on and then you, you know, you have to get those peanuts in your mouth. So you take the mask and you just somehow forget to put it back on. Like whatever level of. Non- I ate so many peanuts on those planes. <laughs> That's why I gained 20 pounds. The, the COVID-20. It was yeah. from eating peanuts. Uh but whatever level of, of noncompliance, I don't know how I got off on this. Tangent. Small acts of civil disobedience. Yeah. Um, I, I like that because you're, you're basically telling people to live free in an unfree world. And that's that that to me is like we fight all these things. And this you could view this episode as a as a dire, dark um, prediction of of a totalitarian state. But the only way to push back against that is people that are still willing to practice their freedom on a daily basis. Correct. To the degree that you can without being ostracized. Like I'm not saying without getting dragged off the plane, dragged off the plane or fired or whatever, whatever degree of noncompliance you can accommodate and still provide for your family. You're obligated to engage in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If the the law is unjust and so many of them are. Yeah. Uh, Or rule. Some of them aren't even laws. Well, 
the mask thing wasn't a law. I know. I was sitting on an airplane, and they came on the intercom. This is during COVID. And they said, federal law requires you to wear a mask. And I thought for a second, like, wait, I vote on these laws, and I read all the bills, and I haven't missed a vote since COVID started. In fact, I've been dragging people to vote. And this is not a law. And, you know, I, I had a little campaign on Twitter and Facebook to remind everybody it wasn't a law. And eventually they changed the announcement. They didn't say federal law requires anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But the cost of proving that point by getting dragged oh, off yeah. a plane and then going to court. And that, I don't even know if you can succeed at such a thing. Um, so I want to I want to go even darker here because we, we've been talking about the creation of Homeland Security and the weaponization of, of the federal government against the American people. And, and I, I start to sound like sort of a, a crazy right winger when I complain about this stuff, but Joe Biden recently said that, I hope I get the quote right, that white supremacy is the biggest terrorist threat to this country. Is that, have you heard this? I heard that, yeah. Yes, um, and not, not white supremacists, but white supremacy. And I've been reading enough of, of woke ideology to understand that the very um, fact that you are white means that you're a white supremacist and you have privilege and all this stuff. Um, first of all, I, I mean, I hate white supremacists. They're bad people. Racism is repugnant. But it strikes me that that is the ultimate blank check to weaponize the government against. Um, it's probably weaponizing it against Republicans because that's they've also said that all Republicans are white supremacists for voting for Donald Trump. Do you have any reaction to that kind of like um, incendiary um, accusation or is it just ridiculous? It's ridiculous. And uh, if they do use it to, to come after one group of Americans, be careful because they'll use it for another group. It'll be Hispanic you know, supremacists later or something. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I think it's it's. We've come to a place in this country where, you know, the president, instead of leading people and uniting them, tries to score points by separating them. And I try to find things that bring people together, uh, like food freedom, like I talked about going to these food events. You, you see all colors there. You see all political persuasions there. Uh, I think like a leader should try to find things that unite us, not things that divide us and it's, that's just such a cheap shot. You know, it was probably maybe it was written on his card. Did he did he intend to say that, or who's getting him to say that? Who who told him? Because because it wasn't a mistake that he said it, right? Somebody said you should go out there and say this, and then he became. That's where you know at that point you need to tell your advisors, okay, this isn't just all about winning the next election or getting one over on the Republicans. At some point, some of this stuff's beyond the pale, and I'm not going to say that. And that, that's why it matters. The character of who you elect does matter, because occasionally you're going to get advice from, from advisors, and they, and they may be true in, the, in that moment, but in the long term, it's caustic. And so what he said there was very caustic. I want to, I want to end with, with food freedom, because I think, I think you're onto something um, and this, this, this gets to living freely in an unfree world and, and maybe not spending all of your time worrying about what Washington, D.C. is trying to do to you. Um, there is sort of a, a nonpartisan movement emerging 
um, very much inspired by some of the things that you do and some of the things that Joel Salatin has talked about, um, where, where people just want more control over their own lives and they're going to take that responsibility without asking anybody's permission. That there's a, there's a model there for social change that, that might get us out of this name calling and, and dividing and, um, red team, blue team, them versus us. Um, did you think you can, can you scale that model? I think so. I mean, at the, you know, our founders thought to protect the freedom of speech, the right to keep and bear arms, privacy, you know, the right to, to property, uh, a lot of rights they thought to enumerate. But the one that was just so basic that it wouldn't even have been a thought to include it in the Constitution is your right to, like, grow food, to trade food. And, uh, it, you know, I guess it's in the Ninth Amendment that they don't have the right to regulate this thing, but they are. And the th people will put up a, with a lot of crap before they revolt, right? You can censor them. You can, and it's, and when you do get a revolt, it's usually, you know, maybe 20% of the population that says they've had enough. And there's 80% who are just too busy to, to care or they're trying to feed themselves. But the thing that always causes a revolution is people can't get food. And this is where I think the government is really screwing up and overplaying their hand. It's making it harder for us to get food without going through some kind of corporatocracy that, that's a monopoly that controls these things. So um, I think, and, I, and I've seen this in the House and in the Senate, I have Democrats on my food freedom bills. Like they co-sponsor them. I think they, this is an area of genuine uh, cooperation and, and bridging. Uh, and I've never said this publicly. I'm about to let the cat out of the bag. You don't even know this, but uh, I was persuaded to become the chairman of the antitrust subcommittee and in the judiciary. And uh, as a condition of that, Jim Jordan said I could have a few hearings that are important to me. And one of the things that's important to me is food freedom. Now, you may say, how do you work this into antitrust, you know, some corner of judiciary law? Well, there's a monopoly in the, in the uh, food market, it's particularly in protein and meat. So we're planning to have a hearing with Joel Salatin as the witness to talk about what's wrong with the, the corporate structure and why regulation uh, is what's fueling the monopoly. So th this is like tune in in June, you're going to have one of the most uh, important hearings that's ever happened in a subcommittee in Congress. It, and if there's one person watching it, that's great. But I think there's going to be a lot more people watching it. I would, I would love to get you and Joel here that day and, and, <laughs> and relive that and help amplify that message. I think that's awesome. And for people who don't know who Joel Salatin is, he's, he's the author of one of the books that every one of my interns has to read in my office. I make my interns read, uh, the old man in the sea, uh, this uh, I just realized I've got an employer mandate. I feel kind of bad, but <laughs> I don't enforce it in any way. But uh, the three books I ask my interns to read, they can keep their employment if they don't. I just don't write the job recommendation. <laughs> or the job recommendation says uh, you'd be lucky if you could get him to work for you. You know, something like that. It's vague. Um, and <laughs> uh, so the three books are uh, Old Man in the Sea, so you know how to write briefly. Uh, Bastiat's The Law. 
And then Joel Salatin's book, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal, War Stories from the Food Front. Yeah. And it's, it's basically a discussion of, of how the government gets in the way of growing food. And Joel Salatin has a farm in, Vir in Virginia. He, he lives what he preaches and has for 50, 60 years. The civil disobedience of feeding your family. Yeah, and, and feeding your neighbors. Yeah, so radical. <laughs> well, that, that's, a, that's an uplifting way to end an otherwise depressing show. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.